This is Siren Warner. You may know me as the Cult Hunter, and you are listening to Frankie Files. The cults are out there. Trigger warning. Some people may find topics discussed in this episode difficult. Please proceed with caution. We are exponentially more powerful than we could possibly imagine. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of Frankie Files podcast. I'm your host, Frankie Tees. Well, for those of you who've been following the show, you know two things. This is Fifth Tuesday when I do author interviews. And you also know the Morningland Papers is an ongoing project of getting survivors of Morningland, including my family, documented and their stories recorded. Today, I have someone who fills both requirements. He's a really special guest who's the only person who wrote a nonfiction book related to his experience at Morningland in Long Beach, California, and the book is called When the Light Came, Conducting Spiritual Warfare, A True Account, and it's a whopper of a read. You can check out the show notes for his author page on Amazon, and his first name is spelled with a PH. Mercer is living with his wife and young child in California. He's a semi-retired business consultant and certification instructor for those learning project management professional, Lean Six Sigma, and Agile Scrum Theologies. He's really brainy. He's done investment banking, and for 30 years, he's been writing financial investment, business, spiritual, and fictional genres with three different books alongside the one we'll be reviewing today. He's not all left brain, though. He is a musician, martial arts expert, and artist. His cosmological artwork can be seen in space science exhibitions today. Mercer received his Six Sigma Green Belt certification at UC Irvine and is a Certified Information Systems Auditor, CISA. He has a BA from University of Colorado at Boulder with a double major in art history and psychology. He has a second degree black belt in Shaolin Kung Fu as well, and he's quite articulate in his riveting book, which I read in one sitting. Though not a long read, When the Light Came takes us on a spiritual journey, which Stephen Mercer says he's been on a lot of through his life. This memoir detailing his search at an independent Baptist church, then being referred to Morningland community by his female business partner in Colorado. He is lured to California in Long Beach, where the cult is, and he moves with another bachelor friend of his at the time, who's also on a long spiritual journey, though slightly different. They move there and get a shock, and without too many spoilers, we've recorded an intriguing interview about his experience at 2600 East 7th Street location. His time was brief, but significant experiences were had. He exited in 1997, a decade after I did. So this is the most current interview our show has had of any ex-Morningland member. And I have confirmed with two other real ex-members that Stephen was in fact there. Incredibly, he also had contact with the people who originally started x-morninglanders.com in the nick of time, and that is part of what I ask him about today. But there is a trigger warning. What you are about to hear contains multiple religious, new age cult terms, names, and dogma, and it may be triggering for those in religious recovery. The show does not promote teachings of or any religious belief, but seeks to view them critically. Though our guest considers himself a Christian, he also has a critical view of Christianity, making things interesting. I give you our fifth Tuesday author, Stephen Mercer. Let's go. This is a very interesting day for me. Stephen, reading the book, I often knew exactly, and I mean exactly, what you were talking about. The vortex, the grief as people were being separated inside the cult, and so much more. But it's also riveting. Reading the book also warmed my heart that someone else knew exactly what I experienced and also recognize that there's a lot going on in the unseen world. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. So first of all, we just want to welcome you to Frankie Files podcast. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You wrote the book about what really seemed to me to be Morningland. 
even though you didn't use the words. Tell us about the title. The release date was published in 2020. As you mentioned, it's entitled When the Light Came, Conducting Spiritual Warfare. It was first published in July of 2020, as you mentioned, and it's currently available on Amazon and Kindle or paperback. Now, way back when I first wrote about my experience, I hadn't intended to publish it as a book. I mainly wrote it as a cathartic experience so I could get the whole thing off my chest because it was a lot to go through and I felt the need to unload it and gain some relief and closure. And also, I wasn't thinking there would be much interest in it, especially since it was such a bizarre and unusual personal account. And finally, to be honest, I had more personal work to do before I was ready to share it with the world at large. Thought, you know, someday I'm you know, called into account or say if somebody maybe interviewed me, I want to be prepared. So guess what? Here we are. <laughs> I do understand. I wrote mine as well, and it has not yet been published, but you're right. It's cathartic. But I cannot claim the nuance and professional writing that you have. It's amazing. You start the book with, I might not believe what I wrote here. All I can say is, it actually happened. Tell us more on that. And if you can, also, what doubts led you to searching away from Western Christianity in the first place when you were in Colorado, I believe? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the whole thing was so bizarre and otherworldly that it almost reads like a science fiction novel or a sword and sorcery fantasy tale. Yes. The, you know, the blunt fact of the matter is that it was the very last thing I expected to happen, but it did. In other words, I didn't make it up. I simply wrote about it as it happened somewhat like a reporter. <clears throat> Before I go into the you know, Christianity piece, I just wanted to mention something for the benefit of our listeners. I totally understand the feelings of those who have been abused by religion in whatever form, especially since it also happened to me. Yeah. And I don't want anyone to be put off by what I'm saying because it would interfere with the message. So I'll just use the letter J and the word spirit when making reference to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But there's other another thing I want to make really clear we're only really talking about our own higher selves anyway. There's a reason why God or spirit seems to manifest as a separate entity in our reality. I'll explain more about that later. And, you know, there's a lot of widespread belief that varies from that. So we um, here at this show acknowledge um, we don't shove any belief down anyone's throat and that that is not Stephen's purpose today. It's trust me, listeners, you're going to want to hear what he went through. Okay. You've got to read the book, first of all. That's all I have to say. <laughs> you just, period. Um, then this interview will make much more sense as well. Okay. You've gone on spiritual journeys. I was referred to um, your book by Lee O. Thank you, Lee. He helped keep xmorninglanders.com, and that came up and knew the original founder of the website uh, from the 80s, you know. And I had described my experience in Morningland as a kid to Lee as spiritual warfare during one of our conversations. And then he said, oh, you have to read Stephen Mercer's book. I said, what? Someone wrote a book about Morningland? Yes, I, I totally want to read it. That prompted him to give me the link. Can you tell us about when you encountered x-morninglanders.com briefly because it is part of the story and of course you can give as many spoilers or not as you want. You know, your, your question kind of had to do with my you know disillusionment my spiritual journeys and disillusionment with western Christianity so I, I thought I'd take just a minute to touch on that. If the truth about something I mean it to the absolute best of my knowledge and understanding and only firsthand experience whenever possible as opposed to conjecture. Uh, I, I had always had a proclivity for what you might call the mystical or metaphysical, although I had no way of pursuing it growing up. But in college, I experimented with so-called hallucinogens like LSD and mescaline, psilocybin. Well, these experiences demonstrated to me that there was indeed a higher path or a higher level of spiritual awareness that could be experienced directly. And indeed, it had to be. And as a person with a proclivity for the mystical, that was significant. In fact, I considered those to be sacraments and not recreational drugs. And I used to call it spiritual house cleaning when I dropped acid, you know, because it's like becoming a Zen master for a few hours. The problem is you know, it disappears and you lose that great knowledge you were in touch with a few hours ago. Well, I wanted that to be permanent. In 1977, uh, I had an encounter 
with a being who I can only describe as Jay. It was very personal, very vivid. The presence was unmistakable. And to make a long story short, it led to my becoming what has been described in those days as a born-again Christian. Now, something did change in me as a result, and people were surprised and amazed at the change in me and my behavior. So that part was valid. But unfortunately, through my own stupidity and naivety, I ended up in a fundamentalist Christian community of all things. See, I wanted direct contact with God on the spiritual and metaphysical. And so I wanted the closest contact with Jay I could get. And I heard that these Pentecostal churches spoke in tongues. They laid hands, they had miracle healing. It's like, okay, now that's more direct. But, you know, these Pentecostal churches where they, you know, speak in tongues, lay on hands. Okay, that's spiritual stuff, you know, substance. Whereas the mainline churches, to me, were just little more than community gatherings where you sing a few songs, hear a boring sermon by an unenlightened individual. Nothing very spiritual as far as I was concerned. So this Pentecostal sounded very powerful and direct. So at the time, it seemed to make sense. But I'll just say that Western Christianity, as it's typically taught, especially sectors like fundamentalism, well, fundamentally missed the point, pun intended, because this classic Christian dogma involving judgment and condemnation is based solely upon fear, often used to control people, and that's not love. That's very unhealthy and diametrically opposed to the truth of who and what we are, and frankly, what God is all about. And then this common belief that Jay had to be sacrificed on a cross for our sins, or that you have to accept Jay as your Savior so you won't go to hell, is a fundamental misunderstanding of the whole salvation process itself. In fact, I've observed it guarantees that you'll fail to find enlightenment. I mean, literally. You're listening to The Frankie Files. FrankieFilesPodcast.com You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Think about it. He wasn't punished because we were bad and he was good. The very thought is ridiculous when you examine it. The idea that a loving God would allow or even encourage one of his sons to suffer just because he was good, you know, the very words are meaningless. Well, I'm agnostic. You'll find no argument. This false belief has led many people to be bitterly afraid of God, and many preachers still teach this today. And, and the whole death obsession and yeah. not living now, but, but um, you know, one of the things I love about Rastafari is that they um, call it livity. Live now. Don't wait until die to go to heaven. Yeah. Live now. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, yeah, there's a lot of expanding to do if you're a fundamentalist. Yeah, it's extreme. And it's fear. It's really fundamentally, it's all based on fear thinking. All of it. And frankly, quite fear is not of God. Fear and love are mutually exclusive. It's real interesting. Love has no opposite. And yet in our experience, the closest thing to the opposite of love is fear. But using fear to control people, that undercurrent of negativity and dread, and then again, this bitter fear of God is just so, so, so misleading Mm -hmm. and unhealthy. Another glaring example of confusion is what I call level confusion, thinking that heaven is up there or out there somewhere, like a physical location. It's not outside you, it's within you. And they don't seem to get that. We have the power of mind given to us. Yes. Yeah. And see, they're so often afraid to go within. It was so interesting. You know, it's because mistaken belief that God is outside them. The problem with that thinking is if you do not go within, you will never find God. And that's a very important component of this whole story. So. And you can substitute if listeners want to, you know, as I am agnostic, but I believe in higher power. I do believe there's got to be more than us. There's a lot to the universe, space. I mean, what is it all about? We have so many unanswered questions. And Robert J. Lifton calls it death anxiety that we have in our, he uses the word death anxiety because of the unanswered questions. Where do we come from and what happens after we die? And that's the grift of every religion and narrative. We agree, you and I agree on this, that fear mongering is about controlling you and getting you to do something for the church, uh, whether it be conditioning, compliance. Using fear in any form at all is a fundamental abuse Mm. of spirituality, period. It's just, just period. There's just no way around that. And then 
you know, and I, I observe yes. also that, frankly, the ignorance and sheer stupidity of some some of these people, you won't believe this. So back when the Hubble telescope was first built, this well-known evangelist wrote an article condemning the Hubble telescope because, get this, he said that that would be able to peer directly into the throne room of God and watch <laughs> do his personal business. And I thought, you mean this guy thinks that because of a telescope, we're going to see God using the restroom? I mean, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, talk about a, a fundamental misconception of the whole idea. This is an educated person, and he's coming up with this garbage. And then re more recently, he and his wife got the Ig Nobel Prize in astrophysics for saying that black holes fulfilled the necessary requirements of health. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a reason why the word ignorance is is based on the word ignore. <laughs> so, so anyway, during during this crisis, you know, I explained in the book during which I was excommunicated finally from the fundamentalist church. Maybe that's something to wear as a crown because you started critical thinking. Maybe. Yeah, these two things it was you know you have what you call a blinding flash of the obvious. You know, number one, these people are downright stupid. And number two, I am with them. <laughs> well, then, of course, I had that crisis where I had another visitation and then left left the church, left that aside. So these are ideas that come to your mind, and they're so strong that you follow them? Yeah, well, things, things that, that I saw going on being taught that just simply could not possibly be true, that could not be of God or of Christ. You know, these false teachings, you know, this especially are really unhealthy, that I am just a miserable sinner. That's one of the most uh, counterproductive teachings uh, ever. You know, it's just absolutely not true at all. You're next, you're in Colorado, and you encounter Morningland. Let's get into it. Uh, this was in the 1990s now, and one of my business colleagues, you know, we were in, we had a financial planning practice, and she was one of my business partners, and she turned me on to Morningland, and that's when we started having these phone, you know, conference calls, and I became quite intrigued because they seemed to know things that about me that no one else should know, so there was clearly some kind of a connection. Quick question, how did she get introduced? The reason I want to follow the trafficking, because it's very clever in Morningland's case often. I don't honestly remember. Uh, they, they did something they, they almost never, ever do. They made a pilgrimage to Sri Donato and, and her and Kamazi. That would have been Kamazi X5 then. When I met her for the first time. This was in Boulder. This was in Boulder, and my partner had rented a conference room in a hotel, one of these hotel convention centers where you had these little conference rooms you can rent. Well, that's what we did. She rented a couple of conference rooms. That's That was the venue. And that's where I met her for the first time. So you're all sitting around perhaps in a circle like they do? Actually, we were said they had us standing in two straight lines like soldiers. Then in she walks, and it was like a freight train pulling into the room. I mean, literally, the whole atmosphere changed. It was tangible. You know, you could feel it. I mean, it was just, like, unbelievable. She just completely swept, you know, people off her feet. It was just, she was so powerful, the whole atmosphere of the room changed, and people would become transfixed. I saw grown men and women, women turn to putty in her presence. You know, she was that powerful, as, as you know. But as ceremony now she went around the room and performed various techniques with the attendees which occasionally included touching them and whenever she touched me i felt something like an electrical current passing through me in fact i'm actually reading from my book right now at one point she came up behind me and touched the back of my neck i experienced it as a warm fuzzy kind of current when i met her in person she took my hands in hers and i felt the same thing it was very distinct I'd never felt anything like that before. I also felt compelled to accept whatever it was she was saying at the time, almost as though she had hypnotic powers. And I could tell that something was being done to me, but at the time I didn't understand exactly what. All I knew for certain was that she had extraordinary powers. You know, th this was someone unlike anyone I'd ever encountered before. So that's when I met her. That's what she did. That's what she would do. You know, just completely overwhelm them like a bulldozer with her energy, with her power. 
And as a person who, you know, we can all interpret it in multiple ways, but if you've experienced Morningland and these people, especially Sri Donato or Saravati or Shokru or the Lama who've all been trained in the same techniques, it is, you're right, it's mesmerizing and hypnotizing. And uh, we know what happens after that, they get you to do stuff. <laughs> so you saw a lot of people affected. Um, did a lot of people take action after that in getting closer to Morningland that were in that group? No. Some, some people were just kind of, most people were just kind of completely freaked out. I remember one girl in the middle of it, she was just, uh, she was starting to shake. You know, she, her eyes were as big as saucers. She looked over at me and she says, who is this person? It's like she couldn't believe it. It was too much. It was too much for most people. They couldn't handle the power and the intensity, but she, that, that didn't matter. And we'll, we'll touch on this later, but I wanted to bring this thing up. Remember this. She touched people on the backs of their necks. Everybody, she went around to make sure she did these certain things, including that particular action. You need to bear that in mind. It's important. The Frankie Files. A, a week or so later, my partner, you know, she was pr practically breathless. And she said, Steve, they, they are extending a special invitation for you to come to Morningland. She was already really getting connected with them. She was, you know, she was, in other words, she was kind of becoming an insider now. So she was definitely committed to being a Morninglander. But she now says, God, you know, they want you specifically to come there. They're, they're specifically wanting you out there. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. And uh, I had a very good friend. Uh, I can use his real name because he's deceased now, uh, Herbert, also a spiritual seeker. And both of us were living alone at the time, like a couple of months, you know, on a spiritual path, living alone. His path was quite different. He was much more of a new agey kind and he had shrines and he had, you know, things and idols and pyramids and pictures of Sai Baba and this and that. So his approach was different. You know, my apartment had none of those kinds of things. For me, my temple was myself. Well, anyway, uh, he was real interested and, you know, I said, well, is there any way I could join you? So I inquired and they said, yes, Herbert is welcome to come as long as Steve is with him. So it's like, you can do it. So anyway, in October, I think it was October 27th of 1997, we pulled into the driveway of a house we rented in Long Beach, about a mile from the temple. So here we are in Morningland. And that's where we're, where this whole thing started. Okay, so now we got a little thing called trafficking, where you go from one state to the next as requested. Yep. A person seeking the intense spirituality you went to IFB, it, it was extreme, and this was another extreme. Yeah, so we now have rearranged our lives to be there. And then you probably get a little job or something? That's, yeah, I was, at the time, I was working as a technical writer, and I was on a contract to, to uh, do documentation for a mortgage banking institution. Yeah, we've been at Morningland for, for a couple of months, and we're asking questions, and we're not getting answers. Uh, in fact, fairly superficial, because I was still considered only a beginner and not privy to the deep goings-ons there. So I spent a fair amount of time with Opie Chokru, and you know that perfume phenomenon. She's the one who showed me the statues in the temple that you have to read the book to, to get. The, that's a whole different topic. But anyway, to be honest, I was not impressed by their spiritual knowledge and insights. In fact, in a lot of ways, they seem like beginners in that regard. These people are just not what I consider really spiritually, you know, adept people. They just aren't. And honestly, he tended to be somewhat arrogant and self-important. I remember he taught a yoga class one day. Who, who, who did? Kamazi. Kamazi X5. And now he's the Lama. Yeah, and it was, yeah, it was very, very rudimentary be, beginner. You know, I was more advanced in yoga than he was, and he's wearing a black belt. Well, there is no such thing as a black belt in yoga, right? Yoga people don't, those are martial arts, and I was actually offended because I am a black belt. It, you know, it's totally inappropriate for him to be walking around with a black belt. So I inquired, so what's he doing with a black belt? Uh -huh. You know, and they said, oh, Sri Donato gave him that. Also, she decides now that she can issue a black belt in yoga. 
fascinating. So it's just, they just were not that spiritually aware. I was actually quite surprised. And then there were all these evasive responses. Whenever you ask questions of any significance, it was always, well, you'll have to talk to the master about that. And then again, they didn't have a clue about a lot of things, spiritual or metaphysical. Herbert and I are looking at each other going, what's going on? And so doing the technical writing project, and we're doing what we call a meet and greet, where I'm meeting with the other technical writers they brought in around the country to come together and work on this project. And let's call her, um, let's call her Dinah. Um, she, she came, she was a technical writer who came in from Seattle, Washington to be part of this project. Uh-huh. And so we're talking and I said, oh, you know, she said, well, Steve, what brings you to Long Beach? I said, well, you know, I'm checking out the spiritual community. She goes, really, what community would that be? And I said, Morningland. And it was as if an elephant had walked in the room. She suddenly, her whole demeanor shifted. She stopped making eye contact. Her face became flushed. And I thought, oh, my God, what is this? I said, all right, all right, Dinah. It's real clear to me that you seem to know something about this place, don't you? And she goes, well, Steve, as a matter of fact, I do. I was one of the original people and insiders at the time it even started. I know all about it. I was there. And I just, my lower jaw just hit the floor. And it's like, this was exactly the information I needed, exactly the right, perfect source of information. Now, that encounter was not random. No way that could be random. Think about it. We're not getting answers and really need an answer. And guess what? I just happened from completely separate circumstance to cross paths with exactly the right person with all the information that was missing. And it's interesting because... I mean, Long Beach is a small, big town. Yeah. As a person who grew up there, it is two degrees of separation. But the timing can't be argued with. There's a bit of mysticism there. It's even better. She goes, I said, because, you know, said, oh, I need to know. I want to know what's going on. And she says, well, you know, there's a website that's uh, ex-members uh, recently together where we share these experiences. I said, I want to know that website. She goes, well, Steve, uh, it's pretty personal. It can be pretty intense. You might not like uh, what you see. And, and plus, you need to get permission. I said, I don't care. I'm looking for truth. Okay, I don't care if good, bad, or otherwise. I don't care. In fact, I'm having doubts in the first place. So I want to know. She goes, well, let me see if I can get permission from the group. Well, okay, good. I drove home. Before I even got home, yeah, there was already an email in my inbox from the, the leader, the person who put together the website, your next member. And welcome, boy, are we happy to have you because I'm now the insider. I'm the only insider that, that enjoyed. So suddenly, bang, you know, the interest was like a lightning bolt. Well, guess when the website went live, Frankie? It went live the very day that we pulled into the driveway in Long Beach. Thank goodness. This is the first story I've heard where they really prevented someone from being ensnared in this place. Well done, Al Stone, original creator. Yep. Yep, that was him. And of course, that's how I got to know him. As you know, he was a great person, had a fantastic personality. Going to miss him forever. So I gathered uh, eventually 75 pages of single face information and notes. I took notes and captured all their their experiences and I printed it out, you know, and then Herbert was sitting there in his chair looking uh, relaxed. I said, Herbert, old buddy, I hate to tell you this, but what I'm about to hand you is an atomic bomb. You know, our lives just got more complicated. Because <laughs> you've relocated, you've started a different job. Now you find out you've been roped into something it's a big chess game for the leadership there. Well, let me let me toss something out here that's kind of that's significant, though, that some some you know listeners might be wondering about. But off, wait a minute. This guy is he says he's met you know Christ. He's spiritually aware of what. Then why in the world wouldn't he see see through this before? And why is he so naive as to, to come out there? Well, here's why, and this is really important. I inquired of spirit slash J if this was okay for me to do. And I got a resounding green light, a yes. It's like, I can't believe this. No, wait, 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 wait. I thought that uh, Christianity was always against cults and gurus and stuff. And you're telling me that it's okay for me to go out and study under a new age guru. Uh, this and said, so really? And the answer was, yep. Uh, yeah. So what in the hell is this? 
you're like Nancy Drew over here with the 70 pages. It's already wild, and we haven't even gotten to the wild part. Well, it didn't make sense, though. You and Herbert are sitting at the table reading because the internet is kind of new, so you just printed it out. Yeah. And you're reading all this material that ex-Morninglanders, including Agopi, had participated in compiling to warn people about the place. And for those of you who don't know, it's x-morninglanders.com still exists and is actually being refurbished, giving people information from ex-members, kind of warning them about this place. So what is his reaction? Well, his reaction was the same as mine. Basically, it amounted to a complete mental meltdown in which our whole world collapsed. All reality collapsed. Nothing made sense anymore. So we're wandering around the house, basically like a couple of drunk sailors, not knowing what to do, not having a clue. It's upsetting. Yeah. Well, it's more than upsetting. It was like foundational. It was what we call ontological. It literally got my whole existence. It got to that. That's when the internal dialogue got finally shut off and stopped. I wanted to go to how do spiritual grifters, energy vampires misuse us? This is what is so illustrated in your book. And how can you concisely answer that for our listeners without uh, them? Because they're going to read the book. But how can you explain that that dynamic? Because you were clearly pulled in from Colorado. You had an intense experience and you weren't afraid of it, as others were. How does this sucking in and sucking of our energy take place? Because I can confirm that I called her a vampire too. Before I ever met you, pleaded of my energy to the point where I had to walk out the door with a dollar in my pocket and nothing. This goes to what I call spiritual mechanics. We contain the spiritual light within us. It is a genuine, tangible thing with a substance, with content. It draws power from the source, i.e. God, we all carry within us. Now, it manifests in a particular kind of energy or form or chi or spiritual lifeblood, as it were. There was a really interesting remark that, that came out of the, the New Testament. It says, quote, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Think about that. Made no sense to me. No one ever explained or even touched upon that. And the reason is simple. They didn't understand what it meant. How in the world could heaven suffer violence? See, they think of heaven as somewhere up there, like a bank vault. It's no, no, no. If heaven were up there or out there, in other words, separate from us, this would be impossible. However, if heaven is right where he said it was, namely within us, then this is entirely possible. And she used certain shamanic techniques that she learned and developed and then employed these techniques to rob people of their own spiritual lifeblood. Yeah, this is a form of chi we're talking about. And there are as yet no laws regarding spiritual behavior because it's basically a spiritual crime. Stephen, I mean, it's interesting that you say that. And this is one of our hot topics uh, that I was so anxious to speak to you about is the laws in UK and a little bit in the United States are starting to recognize coercion. So like coercion into financial or rape or other things, I would say this is spiritual coercion. It is, but it's deeper than that. It's an actual tapping into our energy. It's like draining someone's gasoline tank. So it's real. It's a whole lot more insidious than that. And that, by the way, is what a real vampire is. You know, this Hollywood version where they bite your neck and drain your life. But what's really interesting is it's, it's actually more accurate than you might imagine if it makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck because that's exactly where she taps in. She taps into the fifth chakra. And that is an energy cord that she uses. And then she sucks energy out of that, just like siphoning gas off somebody's gas tank. Exactly the same concept, and it's real. Now, at that point, when you're in your home, your world's turned upside down because your spiritual journey turned into a spiritual nightmare. It turned to a horror film. So you're, you're like, I've been lured here under some false pretense. And, and then are you aware of the vampire aspect? Like the fact that you have been robbed of energy by being here, or is that the case? I had not been aware of that. It had to be explained. 
And that's when we got on the speakerphone to that clairvoyant lady and, and basically asked, what exactly, who exactly is she? What has she done to us? And that's when I had an, another, I had a number of, when the light came over me, and you have to kind of read the book to get it, but, but it was all encompassing. And, and I was taken on a number of what I call journeys outside my body. And this is one in which I was looking at kind of at this kind of a gray sky, like a blank field. And yet there were thousands of little bluish white fibers stretching, stretching across the I mean, thousands. They were not organized in patterns or concentrically. They were actually very like sloppy wiring, like you see on the back of a computer where you got all these thousands of wires, but they're all connected, aren't they? And everything works. It just looks like crap. Okay, that's what I saw, just countless. And then as I looked across, they began to coalesce the more and more toward kind of a center area. As I got closer and closer, I saw people wrapped up in these fibers. And they were the, the inner circle of morning land. And they were alive, but they were like in a trance. Like they were helpless and in a trance. And then suddenly came to the center. And that's where it suddenly got dark. And that's when I saw the vampire. I saw what it was. And I, you know, cause it's like, I can't really describe it in words. Just say it was a hideous abomination that was inherently extremely dangerous like you turn around and suddenly there's a big huge poisonous spider so you're on a journey of the mind yeah. when this yeah. is taking place yeah. how real does this feel i mean are you having physical reactions yeah well when for example when the light was ignited when it, uh, when it began to grow and grow it actually changed my body temperature you know, my temperature rose by several degrees by quite a large quite a large amount so the the effect of that was real it was tangible so yes and is the light positive oh, it was absolute pure unconditional love okay pure total love like the sun radiates light you know in all directions this was love being radiated completely pure in all directions at all times it was an inexhaustible light we're in this this you know tangled web and you see yeah. the the vampire that's yeah. coerced you to move to long beach now you have the choice and you have this spiritual presence that's come and somehow supporting yeah. you yeah here was the crux of it because of course when i looked at that i, I questioned the spirit with basically what and what is that and so this is what she looks like in the room that's beyond the capability of your eyes to see we're showing you this so you can see what she is and what she's doing. And this is what we call a spiritual robbery. This is what I meant when I said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force because each of these fibers is connected to a living person. And she's been sucking energy out of thousands of people all these years. And she's literally overflowing with energy and power because she looked like she was in a trance. You know, and I said, why is she? And he said, because she's drunk. So what do you mean? Drunk? He says, remember the scripture where John came across somebody, a woman who was, quote, drunk with the blood of saints. We weren't talking about physical blood. We we're talking about the spiritual lifeblood. She has absorbed so much of this that she's literally drunk with this power. And it's become like addiction. Some feedback when I'm reading this area of the book, I was thinking quantum physics the whole time. I was like, okay, you know, this type of energy and this type of um, parallel universe, etc. A lot of people know that that exists. We can't see who people really are when we meet them, but there's like a an energy or a force to each of us, you know. And, and clearly, that's of some value on a spiritual level. Well, definitely to the vampires. It's food. It's like the wolves, right? It's like like the hyenas and the vultures. And you know when the you know when food is put out, guess what? The wolves and the thieves are going to come. That's why you lock bank. You know that's why bank vaults exist because you know there's green energy of money. They you know thieves want that. And um, in fact, you just brought up a really excellent one about about the reality of the mind and the quantum piece. Yes, let's address the first question first, the one about the reality of the unseen world of the mind. Yes. How, how real was that to you? A thought such as a memory is just as real to us as when the situation happened in, quote, real time. 
You know this because of how your own memories are still impacting you. That which is real to us is always that which exists in our mind, no matter what or where, no matter whether it aligns with truth, nothing is outside of us. All of us are living inside ourselves, even now while we're interacting together. Now, regarding the quantum physics piece, one peculiar but important fact to bear in mind is that we can literally change the nature of something in the physical universe by merely observing it. Yes, it is known. In other words, it exists in a quantum state. Yeah, it exists in a quantum state of potentialities as opposed to tangibles until your mind touches it. So what does that tell you about the power of your mind? And what does that tell you about your connection to the universe? You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. Sri Donato's sitting there in a chair smoking. And by the way, we thought that was kind of odd. She smoked and cussed like a tailor. What kind of spiritual life? She was actually quite a coarse woman when it came down to it. Well, anyway, this one guy was sitting there just bawling like a baby. And there was a little, uh, like a two-year-old, three-year-old. Uh, so I, you know, quote, what's, what's wrong with you? And then, then the other guy whispered, well, see, he used to be married to that woman over there. She was standing next to Sri Donato. Sri Donato broke up their marriage. And now she's with Sri Donato and he's alone. And that's why he's crying. And I was just shocked and stunned and mortified that such a thing could be. You know, if that were me, uh, I'd have been kicking over chairs and breaking down doors and say, what the hell do you mean? couldn't resist. He didn't have the wherewithal to speak up. And it was also the fact that his wife, his wife is now a lesbian partner to, to Sri Donato. And then he has to be there as one of the followers. To me, now, that's, if that's not an abomination, I don't know what is. And take care of their child. Yeah, see, that to me was really kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. That to me was in fact, both of us look at each other and say, nah, wait a minute. You know, spiritual or no spiritual, you just don't do that kind of thing to people. She never cared about any of that because, as you said, she's feeding. It's, again, it's it's uh, spiritual robbery. You know, it's, again, what, you know, what I just described. It's that, that impact. So, really, I think one of the important things around this is how the heck do you heal from that? Right. Right. And you can hear Lee's story of coerced marriage and divorce from this woman. I mean, it's where does it stop? He eventually said, I'm out of here. This is too much. Um, Our family was broken up as well. My mother, my twin sister and I um, and other things, sexual abuse. So the coercion and audacity knows no bounds with Morningland. It's wildly disguised as a spiritual place. It is not. Now we're, we're here. In fact, we'll go back to that phone call, that conference call we had with the clairvoyant woman who, you know, explaining to us, you know, who and what she was about. Uh, or how do we get out of this? She says, it's really quite simple. You've heard it said that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Well, you are in charge. No one can get inside of you without your consent and that's by divine decree you are the head of your household okay the problem is and we we mentioned implied consent so if you're in the kitchen making dinner and a thief quietly walks into the living room and just starts taking your furniture and you don't notice it because you're not standing on guard okay they're going to steal your furniture and by the time you catch them half your furniture is gone Finally, if you confront them and say, "Why the who the hell? You know, what do you think you're doing?" They'd say, "What well, you didn't say, I couldn't." That is important consent. You weren't paying attention. You weren't standing guard. So she got in. She you're there. She able to get in to start robbing. And that's different than informed consent, where we do know. That's right. Someone is in the area, spirit or whatever. She just takes it because you didn't say no. So it's basically, so long, sucker. You know, it's like the pickpocket. Well, you're not looking? Okay, good. It's mine now. And basically, remember, she was raised, I learned that she was raised, brought up and raised to be a thief, to the, the, believe that the only way to get ahead was to steal and to take, and to, to do, you know, outdo others 
and get ahead by that, you know, through, through selfish means by taking. We, we mentioned quantum physics, okay? okay? Do you know what a quantum causality is? No. It's a phenomenon in which the effect happens before the cause. This violates Newtonian physics completely. Newtonian physics cannot account for this phenomenon. Well, what does that have to do with spirituality? Well, we talked about how you can literally change something by observing it, the act of observing. Okay? Hey, thoughts never leave their source. Think about it. No matter what you think happened to you, your memories, including your grievances, are still connected to your mind because it's your mind that generated the thoughts in the first place. You need a way to short-circuit that. Here's a way that works. Remember that to forgive means to give ahead of time. Give ahead of time. You're giving cause back to cause and not effect. You're effectively short-circuiting the ego's method of projecting guilt outside of keeping you trapped in duality and separation. So you need to think of it this way. You need to forgive in the quantum sense rather than the Newtonian sense. I like that because as a survivor, it's like, I don't want to forgive. <laughs> exactly, because that's the Newtonian linear version. So declare you were attacked, you were injured by an outside party. It was real, hence the path is real. And forgiveness in that context is more of a whim and a poor substitute for healing. Quantum version is to recognize that we manifested it first as a thought and then gave it energy by investing in it and making it real. The truth is it never actually happened in the first place. It was only an illusion, a projection of your unconscious mind that set up the situation. It's an instantaneous process in which you catch the thought in the act of being made or before, which is even better, right? For game in advance, you look straight at it and see the illusion and let it go. Now, this part can be very hard to accept. In fact, that's partly what threw the Gnostics off. You know, more on that later. Yeah, you begin by seeing it as a projection of your mind, by catching it in the act of being generated. You look straight at it and then recognize it as an illusion and then divest yourself of it accordingly. Thus, you short-circuit it from the get-go before it becomes an effect. Then, spirit works from beyond space-time to correct the problem at the level of the unconscious mind to correct it in both directions because the mind exists outside of space-time and space-time is a hologram. And that means when it's resolved, it's resolved forever. That's the atonement process. That's your path to salvation slash enlightenment. And I can tell you, Frankie, it works. When you described the mansion, a mansion type place where you had seen wiring, you were rewiring yourself from this experience, as we must do to begin living again. And she snuck it. When I have a vision dream and I'm in a house, it's always me. You know, the kitchen is the heart. The living room is your, you know, the logistic, practical things. And, you, and you're, you're the upstairs are now, you're, of course, your higher centers, your mental and your spiritual. It just works. And then the lower level or your basic excretory bodily functions, the, the analogy is always the same. And that was on that dream. I was looking down at my living room and then suddenly she rushed in with her entourage and tried the same thing over again. But I caught her. That's when I took charge. And I know that was real. That was not a dream that that, you know, that was a genuine uh, uh, assault. But, but I really have to, to, to stress that in the midst of all this, you know, the attacking and the fear and the, the so-called warfare, you have to, the only way to get out of this is to recognize that all of this is a dream. So I have the power to, as you, inform others that these things not only exist, but when your spidey sense goes off, trust it. You did that. You trusted your spidey sense. You trusted your, you know what I mean? That's what a general public would call it. And you said to yourself, wait, I've got to do some research. And you found out and then you left. So you have done what many people weren't able to do. And so kudos, Stephen, for that. Kudos for that. You got away. Thank you, Now, to wrap, I've taken so much of your time and I appreciate you doing this so much. Um, 
What do you want people to take away from this experience that you present in your book? What is your message? Okay, okay. here's, I think uh, one of the things uh, important is what we just talked about a moment ago. You're in charge. You're the master of your own inner household, and that is by divine decree. So you have the authority to decide who and what gets in. That implies you also have a serious responsibility to manage your temple accordingly, just like a security guard keeps watch. Remember that we live inside our minds. Our bodies are just something outside of us. You don't need to be fearful or paranoid because perfect love casts out all fear. You just need to be awake and aware. And the other thing is, you know, just to clarify, the term spiritual warfare is an oxymoron, if ever there was one. Simply does not engage in any form of violence or conflict whatsoever. In other words, spirit does not attack or take any aggressive action upon anyone or anything. It doesn't need to. It can only act with love. And then another piece uh, that I'd want people to take away is that we are asleep and living in a dream where we really don't belong, but we can wake up. True forgiveness has an actual metaphysical effect. We discuss quantum physics and this process actually affects you at a quantum or metaphysical level. And when that happens, there's a genuine and actual release that occurs, one that's genuine, that really matters. And this, when this happens, Frankie, that you get this, what's been described as the peace that passes all understanding, like any other peace you've ever felt. And then you finally realize that you were made with love and that love is invulnerable and love really can't be attacked. You know, there's actually three books I've written. When you get to the right page, you'll see all three books and you can get it on Kindle or paperback format. The work I do, I'm basically, I'm a certification instructor. I teach people wanting to get their project management professional and Lean Six Sigma certifications, and I do consulting work. Thank you so much for being on Frankie Files. You are our fifth Tuesday author interview, and it's my pleasure to put you on. Thank you very much. I hope this has been helpful for people. sexuality in society. These are the topics for the Frankie Files. I'm Frankie Tees, your host, and I'll continue to focus on my own family story as well as news and recovery info for those who've survived, especially the adult children of cults. New each Tuesday. See FrankieFilesPodcast.com for more.